Bibles, please, this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1. And we're going to begin uh, reading in verse number 20. Read a couple different uh, places here, here in chapter 1 and then also in chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse, we'll begin verse 20. Would you please stand with me when you find that? Uh, out of respect for the Word of God, we'll stand together and read together. If uh, perhaps you could read along with someone or share your Bible with someone nearby so that we might all read together uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and reading verses 20 and 21. I would like you to read these aloud with me in unison together. 1 Corinthians 2, 20 and 21. Ready? Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I want you to notice a contrast here. We find in verse number 20, the Bible speaks of the, uh, uh, the wisdom of this world. And it says that God makes the wisdom of this world foolish. Then he says in verse number 21, he speaks of the wisdom of God. He speaks of the wisdom of God. Go to chapter 2 and look at verse 4 and we'll read verses 4 through 7. 4, 5, 6, and 7. We'll read these in unison. Beginning, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Ready? And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, upside down and backwards. I don't know for sure. Uh, If we go to 2.30, I can finish this message. But I'm not going to go to 2.30. I would never go past 2.15. Um, but no, this is, I, it may be a one, uh, maybe maybe an individual sermon, but likely not. Maybe, maybe next Sunday or maybe not. I don't know. But we'll see what the Lord wants us to do there. But I do know this is where we're supposed to be this morning. And um, we're different from the world. We're in the world, but not of the world, the Bible says. And so, uh, as we understand godly wisdom, that godly wisdom runs contrary to the wisdom of this world. And so, our way of living is going to be strange to this world. It's going to be peculiar. Both of those words are words that God uses to describe His children. 
And uh, Hebrews 11 calls us, verse 13 calls us strangers and pilgrims. Peter wrote and said, you're God's peculiar people. Now, I know I don't know too many people wake up in the morning and say, I want to do something odd today. You know, I just want to be peculiar today. Well, I don't know. You go to the mall and look around a little bit. You think somebody must have woke up and thought that. But anyway, uh, but, there's, uh, but, 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 but in contrast to the world, we will and are, be, we will be and we are um, peculiar. And uh, this is not something to uh, be afraid of, something to be ashamed of. Uh, it's not something we're we're trying to do. Uh, uh, it's just it, it's it's happening, and it's going to happen more and more, more and more. If you and I, <clears throat> uh, we'll let you be the world. Come right here. We'll let you be the world because he's certainly an example of worldliness. But the world, how many know the world around us is changing? I mean, it's at warp speed. It's changing. Unbelievable. And if you go back, if you reach back a uh, uh, 1950s, for example, not a perfect era. Some of you were born then, uh, but not a perfect era. But a world of different than today. Amen, right? And just indecency and the way people treat each other, modesty, courtesy. Uh, I understand. There's no new thing under the sun. that has been bad everywhere all the time. I understand. But I'm talking about us as a nation and the world in which we live. And thank God we, we live in a free nation still. Um, but this world is changing. So to stand out apart from the world, you head that way a little bit at a time, you don't really have to do anything. You just just do what you've been doing. Amen? Look, just because the world gets further and further from God doesn't mean we ought to get further. We ought to just stay put. Amen? Well, to build our lives on this book right here, uh, uh, forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Amen. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the living word. Amen. And so we just stay put. Now, what happens is there's a greater distance between us and them. Now, that means this. The world, and I'm talking about world philosophies and so forth, those that are in, 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 entrenched in and immersed in the world's philosophies and the world's way of living, we'll look at Bible-believing Christians and say, those people are peculiar. They are different. They are different. And that peculiarity will become more pronounced with time because the world is getting worse. Now, if you think it peculiar that I'm not going to let somebody put my kid in a corner of a room without my permission and without my knowledge and teach them things that I should be teaching them myself as a father, as a mother, adult subject matters, in a twisted form nonetheless. And that makes me peculiar. Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. I still believe my, my kids belong to me, whether they're at my house or in the playground or at the schoolhouse, or wherever they are. Amen? Now, this world, more and more is changing. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen? We have another home, a heavenly home. I want to talk to you on the subject, upside, upside down and backwards. Heavenly Father, bless the preaching of the Word of God to our hearts. I need your power. I need your help. You guide me, Holy Spirit. And uh, exactly what you want me to say, what you want me to leave out. 
and let it be what your people need in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Romans chapter 12 tells us this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Dr. Gibbs told the story, an illustration, and it's documented, you can look it up. But a tragic story behind the Iron Curtain of three daughters of a pastor, a prominent pastor. And, uh, and that pastor was threatened with jail, and his life was threatened if he did not quit preaching. And then he just wouldn't quit preaching without being government sanctioned. And they imprisoned him, and they, he preached in the jail. They, could, they, couldn't close, they couldn't shut him up. And they brought one of his daughters in to him while he's in prison. And uh, they had uh, hot pokers. And, uh, and uh, they said, we will shove these hot pokers into your daughter's ears and she'll never hear again. If you do not denounce this Christ, I promise to quit preaching. And that daughter said, Daddy, please, please don't deny the Lord Jesus. And he watched as they took his oldest daughter's hearing. He continued... Subsequently, they brought in the second daughter and then finally the third daughter. And those girls didn't grow up deaf. After the Iron Curtain fell, many missionaries rushed over there to Romania and those places behind the Iron Curtain. In one of the very first meetings, the church underground could now meet publicly. In one of those very first meetings, a large group of Christians and pastors gathered and someone called the name of this dear brother who'd been so horribly persecuted in his daughters and said, uh, and said uh, we want your testimony. He, was, uh, he didn't want to be in the spotlight, but at the urging of the congregation. And the service went over three hours, and, and, uh, and uh, he got up and gave his testimony. The brother that was conveying this story was, was uh, hearing all this through an interpreter. He was from states here and was hearing all this through an interpreter. And after the service, during the service, he noticed three ladies, three adult ladies over there that were, uh, uh, there was somebody who was signing to them. And after hearing this pastor's testimony, he wondered to himself, I wonder if those are the daughters. And so after the service to an interpreter, he approached the ladies and, and, uh, and, uh, and said, uh, would you, do you happen to be related to the pastor who gave his testimony? I said, yeah, that's our dad. And, uh, and, and the man just was in awe and he said, what, what, how, how, I don't understand how in the world, as little girls, could you, could you have the courage to say such a thing and yield to that horrible, horrible treatment? And those three girls just began to sign and interpreters looked back at him and said, sir, they said it was our reasonable service. Our reasonable service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The Bible said, Think it not strange when the fiery trials come. 
Don't think it peculiar. Jesus said in his lifetime, if the world hates, hates me, he's going to hate you. If you're a follower of me, Jesus said in the Hebrews, I'm outside the camp. You want to, get, you want to come fellowship with me, you won't have to be outside the camp. Listen, Christianity today is being plagued by worldly philosophies. The church has become worldly and the world is pretty churchy in many areas. And what we need is some, uh, uh, some Christianity outside the camp. Amen? Listen, to this world, a Christian consecrated to Christ and living by biblical principles should seem absolutely upside down and backwards. And from my view, where I'm standing, I'm not a perfect Christian, but uh, I love the Lord with all my heart and I want to serve Him and I try to serve Him sincerely and I fellowship with Him on a daily basis. And from where I'm standing, the world, to me, looks upside down and backwards. Now, how does this transformation take place according to Romans 12? He said, be not conformed to this world. I don't know why in the world Christians are trying to be a cheap version of the world. Listen, if you're saved, you'll never make a good worldling. Okay? So you might as well just be a good Christian. Amen? Because you'll never be a good worldling. The world will always be better at being worldly than you are. Funniest thing in all the world to me. It's a strange thing. A Christian, wanna, he wants to call himself a Christian, but he wants to look like and walk like and talk like and act like the world. That's a bunch of nonsense. Amen. And uh, somebody uh, sent me, afforded me a, I guess called a meme. Is a meme a picture? Okay, anyway. I don't know. But it's a, let's just call it a picture. <laughs> sent me a picture. And it had, at the top, I should have I brought it. But anyway... I think Pastor Shiflet put together from Maryland, I believe. But anyway, at the top it said this. He said, uh, how the world dresses when they worship their God. And it had, in suits and ties, everybody don't squirm now, in suits and ties, sharp dressed, the NFL Sunday football announcers. And then on the bottom row said how Christian leaders dress when they worship their God. And you can imagine jeans with holes, long cornrow hair, tattooed up. Right, listen, you can be saved out of anything. You can be saved. We have folks saved out been in prison. We've got a bunch of folks tattooed up, folks that drank, smoked, this and that, gust and so forth like that. You can get saved out of anything. Glory to God. Amen. But help, help, help me now. Help me now. If any man be in Christ, he's a what? Amen. New creature. When you get saved, the Bible said you have a new song. That's, that's opposed to the old song. Amen? Amen? And much of Christianity today is reaching out to get the old song to try to attract people to the house of God. Listen, we're not trying to attract crowds we're trying to reach souls for Jesus Christ. And I got news for you. you, you if you've got to attract with fleshly means, then don't be uh, surprised when you get fleshly results. We're different. The world's the one that's upside down and backwards. Amen. This change that's supposed to come into our lives in Romans chapter 12 says this. Be, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. 
One of our young men sitting in the service this morning said, Pastor, I'm going to do such and such. And he's going to make a good change in his life. A good change. He thought, I don't know, maybe just influence of people or something. I don't know. And uh, I said, that's great. I said, uh, I said uh, do you know where that is in the Bible? He said, that's in the Bible. I said, yeah. And I took him over to 1 Corinthians 11, showed him. He said, man, I didn't know it's in the Bible. And he got even more excited about what's going on. He's going to, get, he's going to do the right thing. And he did the right thing. Amen? You know what this Bible does? This Bible, here's, here's what Romans 12 said. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know what, what, what affects life change in a believer's life? A new way of thinking. Renewing of the mind. That's why, listen, that's why we need preaching. That's why we need Sunday school. That's why we need more, not less. We need to hear the Word of God, study the Word of God. Why? Because the more we learn the way God thinks, the more it changes us. We are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, we're new creatures in Christ. We ought to assume our place, our position as new creatures in Christ. We ought to walk different, talk different, act different, behave differently, treat each other differently, wear different clothes, different music, different different uh, entertainment, uh, 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 different different viewing habits, different different conversational habits, different words. Hey, we're God's people. Amen. And we're to be transformed by the renewing. How? By a new way of thinking, by the renewing of our minds. This book right here presents truths that run exactly opposite of worldly philosophies. Let me give you a few. The Bible says that the way up for a Christian is down. The way up is down. Now the world says the way up is step on as many people as you have to. Lie, cheat, steal, whatever you need to do. But climb the ladder. And that's the way up. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Joseph was 17 years old. He was not ready for the kind of power that would be handed to him 13 years later. Had that 17-year-old boy been handed God's divine will, and God's divine purpose for his life at age 17, it would have absolutely ruined him. But it took 13 years and God used those 13 years. He used some envy of his brothers. God uh, took the evil intent of his brothers who kidnapped him, put him in a pit, plotted to kill him, talked themselves out of that, instead sold him into slavery, wound up down in Egypt. He became head of, as a 17, 18, 19, maybe 20 years old, became the head of Potiphar's household, one of the chief military officers in Egypt. He was so, uh, uh, had such character in the presence of God, but he walked with God, and he had character, and he became the head of Potiphar's household. And then, uh, then he was seduced by Potiphar's wife, and when he spurned her, she lied about him. 
He wound up in prison from age 17 to age 30. Joseph is mistreated. All of his human rights, so to speak, are taken away. He's a slave. And yet the presence of God is in his life. And through those 13 years of humility, God then takes him out of prison, makes him second in command to the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And God uses Joseph in a great way. God did not exalt Joseph until God had prepared Joseph. And it was God, that was God did that. No man could manipulate that. No slave could manipulate himself second most Second to the most powerful man on the face of the earth at the time. But God did. Amen. You see, in God's economy, the way up is down. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Uh, uh, the way in God's economy, the way to exaltation is humiliation. The way to exaltation is humiliation. The way up is down. Do you remember what uh, Samuel the prophet said to Saul after his repeated disobedience, and finally God is going to wrench the, the kingdom out of his hands. And, uh, and uh, when Saul, Saul was the first king of Israel, and when, he was, when it was time for Saul's coronation, they were ready to put the crown on him, the trumpets, bah, 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 bah. ladies and gentlemen, you're king of Israel! Ladies and gentlemen, you're king of Israel. Where's he at? I don't know. They went looking for him. He was hiding backstage, the Bible says. He was hiding among the stuff. I don't want to go out there in front of the people. I don't deserve this. Now, wait a minute. Fast forward now. He's been king a while. He's been bitten by the green-eyed monster of envy and jealousy. And he's hunting David, young David, down, a man after God's own heart, to kill him, to get rid of his rival. He's become arrogant. He's become disobedient. He says, he's, uh, uh, he's got this facade he's wearing. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I, I, I disobeyed and didn't uh, slay all the animals of the Amalekites because, Amalekites because I wanted to worship the Lord. We have a worship service. Well, you're disobeying. I know, but I had a good reason. We're going to worship. He says, it's not what God, God doesn't want worship. God wants obedience. Obey is better than sacrifice. Samuel said to Saul. And then he said this. He said, Saul, when, listen to it, thou wast little in thine own eyes, wast thou not put in charge of the nation. When thou wast little in thine own eyes, thou wast made a king. David was 50 years younger than Saul. 28 years younger than Jonathan. And you think about this. Here's a man, if he's 60 years old, he's jealous of a 10-year-old boy. If he's 65, he's jealous of a 15-year-old boy. You understand this? <laughs> That's pretty sad, be 65 and be jealous of a, of a 15-year-old lad. But he is insanely jealous. Why? Because he's, he's got too big for his britches. Now then, he, he, he got a little taste of that power. And, and uh, I think what happened to him, it happened to a lot of people that end up in Washington. Amen. They start off with such the best intentions that something happens when they get a little taste of that power. But anyway, the same thing happened to Saul. Now, now he started off humble and, and, and God exalted him in his humility. God made him a king. And now then, he's got a taste of that. And now he's ready to step on anybody that would challenge his power. And God is going to rend the kingdom from him. And he's going to die early. 
earlier sooner than he would have and his sons are going to die with him. Why? Because in God's economy, the way up is not to step on somebody and climb the ladder. The way up is down. The way to be exalted is to humble yourselves. Upside down and backwards. In God's economy, to be filled up, you must be empty. To be filled up, you must be empty. How does one become filled with God's Spirit? Empty yourself of self. How does one, uh, uh, how does one uh, uh, have the mind of Christ? The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Imagine a CD player. And how many still have a CD player? Okay. DVD player? Okay. All right. You hit the button, right? It says open, close. You hit the button, right? And slides out. And there's a, there's a CD in there, right? What do you do? You take it out and you what? Put another one in. Boop. Hit the button. The Bible says, let allow. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You and I, as a child of God, have at our disposal, have access to the mind of Christ. But that requires that we give up our own mindset and say, okay, God, I've always felt this. I've always believed this. I've always thought this. Listen, listen, listen to me. I don't know how many times over the years people say, Pastor, I know you're right. I know the Bible says about that. But, you know, I just always thought, listen, this is time for you to hit that button. It's time for you to, to slide that, 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 uh, 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 that CD out your mind and, let, and, and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up my way of thinking. And I'm going to put your mind in here. I, by faith, accept your mind. I accept this book as the Word of God, whether I understand it or not. It's true, every word of it. And I want this mind. I want the mind of Christ in making my decisions. In establishing my daily habits, I want the mind of Christ. Listen, if you want to be filled with the mind of Christ, you've got to empty yourself of your own way of thinking. That's Romans 12 again. Be not conformed. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A new way of thinking. This world, listen, this world will never understand the way a Christian lives. Never. Why? Because it's upside down and backwards from where they're looking. That's why they look upside down and backwards to me. Amen. Because it's a different way of thinking. I'll give you another one. In God's economy, to improve yourself, you must improve others. Some of the best intentioned Christians fall prey to this. In God's economy, in God's wisdom, in, in the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of this world, but in God's wisdom, the way to improve yourself is to improve others. Listen, this, this, there is no end to books and videos and, and audio and uh, uh, self-help. How I can be a good this. How I can be a good that. How I can be. Listen, do you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to focus your life on others and serving others and meeting the needs of others. Listen, if I ask the question this morning, who's the best Christian in this room? And you raise your hand, I would know for certain that you're not the best Christian in the room. And if I ask the question, who is the worst Christian in this room? And you raise your hand, tell me the same thing. The best Christian in this room, listen carefully, the best Christian in this room 
is not aware they're the best Christian in the room. The best husband in this room is not aware that he's the best husband. I have no idea. Sorry. The best wife in this room is not aware she's the best wife. Why? Because the world, listen, the, 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 listen we, could put, we could put the self-help business out of its misery if we would just say, understand, true humility, Bible humility, not thinking bad about myself, it's just not thinking about myself. Not as a, not as a point not to think of myself, but as a, as, not as a, 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 but as an effect. In other words, my mind is so consumed, my desires, my heart, my efforts, my time, my treasure are so consumed in helping others, I am unaware of myself. Listen, if, if, if I've heard this once, I don't know how many times, over and over again, well, you know, she just doesn't meet my needs. Well, he just doesn't meet my needs. And we're at odds with each other because I tell you what, uh, uh, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do this, she doesn't do this. And he, listen, you want a happy marriage? Listen, you want a happy marriage? You get your mind and heart focused on meeting the needs of the other person. And to the extent you are no longer aware of your needs and forget your needs, and let me tell you you're on the road to a happier marriage. You see, God's economy says this, to improve yourself, you must improve others. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better dad? How can I be a better pastor? You think about that, there's a, there's a bit of selfishness in that. I want to be a good whatever. Let me tell you a better, a, a biblical desire. How can I help how can I feed how can I comfort how can I guide you as a church family now I want to be the best husband in the world first of all you're not second of all you won't be and third of all you don't need that on your mind while you're writing a list of 11 things you can do to be the best dad in the world your kids are being neglected put your list away and go play with your kids focus your mind and heart on them Don't worry about if you're a good wife. Don't worry about if you're a good husband. Seek to meet the needs of others. Here's another thought, upside down and backwards to the world. It's more blessed to meet needs than to have your needs met. The Bible said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that right? So it is more blessed to meet needs than to have your needs met. So often, listen, so often we talk about the blessings of God, and and we do it sincerely. I'm so blessed. God's so good to me. He did this for me. He did that for me. He did that for me. He did that for me. Wonderful. But those are secondary blessings. The greater blessing is God allowed me to do this and this and this and this to serve someone else. Amen? If, if Listen, the Bible, Jesus said, uh, it is more blessed to give. The Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen, do you know why I let my teenage daughter rub daddy's shoulders? Because I want her to be blessed. Amen. I want her to be blessed. I'm just humble like that. But the Bible, listen, the Bible said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That means it's, listen, it's better to give a foot rub than it is to get a foot rub. Nobody believes that in this room, but anyway, it's true. It's better to give a gift than to receive a gift. Let me give you another one, upside down and backwards. To, the secret to receiving is found in giving. 
The secret to receiving is found in giving. Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Let me give you another one. The path of weakness leads to strength. And now that's upside down and backwards from the world. The world talks about empowerment. The world talks about knowledge is empowering. This is empowering and, uh, and so forth. Uh, and God said this, the path uh, uh, to strength is, is, is laid with the stones of weakness. Weakness leads to strength. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, the apostle Paul has some kind of physical affliction and he does not give it specifically, but we assume it was probably something to do with his eyesight when Paul wrote some of his letters. There were other letters being written. False teachers were writing letters and, and, and signing Paul's name on it, spreading false doctrine. And so Paul started write, started signing his own letters. He dictated before that. He signed his own letters. He said, now look, see these big large letters? Uh, this, I'm signing this myself. And you know I'm authenticating. This is, I actually wrote this. And so we assume then that Paul, his affliction, what he called a thorn in his flesh, was something to do with his eyesight. And he says in that passage, in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I prayed three times. God, please take this affliction away from me. I could serve you so much back. And imagine him saying, God, I could serve you so much better without this thorn in my flesh, without this affliction, without this trial. I could serve you so much better without this burden. Please take this away. And three times God came back and the answer is, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he goes on to say, when, and Paul goes on to say, now I glory in my infirmities. I learned a lesson. I glory in my infirmities. I glory in my sickness. I glory in my trials and tribulations. When they come, I say, glory to God, because I've learned something that when I am weak, then am I strong. God's strength is made perfect in my weaknesses. You check out the great works of God that have been done through history and the great works of God that are being done on this earth right now and you'll find weakened vessels that God is able to fill where God gets the credit and God gets the glory. Don't besmirch God's name. Don't cast aspersions upon His character when the trial comes, when the burden comes. But understand, God has given you an opportunity to trust His grace to get you through because in your weakness, He wants to show His strength to the world. The world speaks of empowerment. Let me tell you something. This world lusts for power. This is a biblical pattern. The Antichrist lusts for world power. He will, after the rapture, he will come in as a peacemaker. And then he'll expose himself three and a half years later. All of this is right in the word of God. And there will world will come together under world leader. There will be a one world monetary system. There will be a one world, one world governance. And there will be a one world religion. And the Antichrist will say he'll, 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 he'll slaughter a pig on the, uh, on, the, on the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem on the altar there. And he'll say, you worship me or death. And many will die because they refuse to worship. But he is lustful. He is hungry for power. And you listen to me. There is a globalist, one world mindset that has infected every country in this world. It's infected the United States of America. There's a globalist in the White House. There are globalists in the Department of Justice. There are globalists in the Department of Education. Hello? 
Anybody home? There are people who have, have a lust for power who will do whatever they can to retain the power they have and grab more power. And I got news for you. That, that, that hunger and that lust for power is the antithesis of what God's teaches in God's economy. It is in weakness that His strength and His power is shown. The world speaks of empowerment and God speaks of brokenness. A broken and a contrite heart. God will not despise Psalm fifty-one seventeen. The path of weakness leads to strength. Even Owen. To be great is to serve. To be great is to serve. Matthew chapter 20 teaches. Jesus in his teaching uh, uh, said this. He said... Uh, uh, um, uh, ye know the princes of the, of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for ministry. For many, a minister is one who does the menial tasks. Right after that dissertation to his disciples, he comes and there's a man who needs healing and he cries out. And Jesus, in so many words, stops and says, how can I help you, sir? And he demonstrated that the that, that greatness is not in how many people serve you. Greatness is not in your position. It's not in your power. It's not in your title. To be great is to serve. God says greatness is measured by how well we serve others, not how many serve us. Upside down and backwards. The way to stand is on your knees. Daniel 6.10 Daniel stood in the face of hungry lions. How in the world did an almost 90-year-old man stand in the face of hungry lions on his knees three times a day, Daniel 6.10? Upside down and backwards, the way to have a friend is to be a friend. The world says, learn how to win friends and influence people. And God said, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. God says, learn how to lay down your life for another. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friend. The strongest of all loves, the greatest of all loves is the love of a friend. Because friendship, according to the Bible, is laying down your life for a friend. It's stronger than the love of a, a, of a mother for a child. It's stronger than a husband-wife relationship or any relationship. It is the love of a friend because friendship is not a, that's a relationship you choose. It is a choice that you make to lay down your life for someone else, not make your desires, not make your needs, not make your wishes, not make your preferences the issue, but lay those aside for the sake of another person. God said, that's the greatest love. That's the love of a friend, which is why husbands and wives ought to be best friends and mothers and daughters ought to be best friends and so on and so forth. Friendship is the glue that holds all these other relationships together. But the world says this, you got to win friends. And if you say this, you say this and use voice inflection and you do your hands like this and this, you can influence people. How about this? How about love people? How about meet their needs? How about lay down down your life and be a friend. Listen, you go to school, you kids listen to me. Start school this week, some of you already started. You go to school, you go to school and sit in the lunchroom and suck your thumb and whine because nobody wants to be my friend. That's your fault, nobody else's. Get out of your seat, find somebody else who's sucking their thumb and say, hey man, my name is so and so. What's your name? Can I eat with you? Would you like some of my Cheetos? And be a friend and it won't be long till you'll have friends like flies on honey. He that hath friends must what? 
show himself friendly, the Bible said. Upside down and backwards to the world. The Bible ways, you want to keep something, you have to let it go. You want to keep something, let it go. Matthew 16, 24, the way to find something is to lose it. Do you notice how much of the world... We're, we're so entrenched in the world's philosophies. The world is on defensive. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You can buy locks for your wheels. Why? Somebody might take them. Right? We have alarm systems. We have safes. Why? We gotta, somebody might get our stuff. Now, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't secure your home. I'm suggesting we are saturated with a worldly philosophy, and that is to keep something, you've got to hang on to it and protect it. And God's philosophy is, if you want to, if you want to find your life, lose it for Christ's sake and the gospel. Is there anything you wouldn't give up gladly for the cause of Jesus Christ? To whatever degree you would not, you are not living the full measure of the life that God has for you because life, fullness of life is found not in protecting, holding on to, but in giving up your life. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake and the gospel shall find it. Let me give you some statements and I'll be done. We look to a man for that which only God can give us. These are common mistakes we make. We look to man for that which only God can give us. James 1.5 talks about the wisdom and that it comes only from God. We read about the world's wisdom in our text. And we look to man for that which only God can give. And tell you something, my dear friend, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels are beckoning me from heaven's golden shore. And it won't be long, and I'll be up yonder where my citizenship is. Amen. Down here, I'm a stranger. Down here, I don't fit in. Down here, I'm peculiar. Amen. Down here, I look upside down and backwards. But I got news for you. The world looks upside down and backwards to me. Amen. I'm not looking for the wisdom of this world. I'm looking to God for the wisdom that I need. Let me give one more thought. A common mistake we make is we adopt worldly philosophies in hopes of getting spiritual results. We see this in the world, and here's the sad thing, it's creeping into the church. We adopt worldly philosophies in hopes of getting spiritual results. Let me give you one illustration. Let's take justice. In Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11, the Bible says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the result is, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, if we do not quickly, fairly try lawbreakers, 
then the hearts of men are going to be set on more evil. On August the 12th, in Woodland Hills, California, 50 individuals mobbed a Nordstrom store, stole $300,000 worth of goods. They call it smash and grab or flash rob crimes. Four days before that, in broad daylight in Glendale, California, 30 thieves stole $300,000 worth of goods. In Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, a grocery store, the giant food store, is about to close because in the, the last, just recently, they've had a half a million dollars worth of products. How do you steal a half a million dollars from a grocery store? The growing thievery is part of a trend that's going across our nation. Murders are up 25% since this month, a year ago. San Francisco recently advised, there's a federal building in San Francisco, it houses the, uh, 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 some educational people, uh, health and human services and Department of Labor and Transportation. They told, they, they, got, they told the employees at that federal building, said, y'all need to work from home from now on. It's not safe to come to work. Any wonder? Proposition 47 in California turned nonviolent property crimes that do not exceed $950 from felonies to misdemeanors. My wife was at the beauty shop the other day, and a lady was in there telling her, said, well, we're in Chicago. And this guy came in with a grocery bag and just started raking himself off the shelves into the garbage bag, into the garbage bag. And this lady, she lives there and asked her, and she's like, and the workers are just, and, and, and she goes, and says, did you look, did you see that guy? I said, yeah, he comes in pretty frequently. She said, I ain't getting shot. Because sentence against an evil deed is not immediately and speedily dealt with, evil grows in the hearts of men. Oregon passed Measure 110 in November of 2020, which decriminalized the possession of heroin, methamphetamines, addictive drugs, because these globalist mindset people said, we want to have a humane approach to drug addiction. Well, here's the here's that was in November of 2020. Here's the here's the results. Overdoses hit a record high in 2022, and in the first eight months of this year, they've already surpassed overdose deaths from 2022, which were a record high from the years past. Shootings in Oregon have tripled, vehicle thefts have doubled, and property crimes and burglaries are on the rise including homelessness, which is up 50%. Now, I'm simply illustrating, my dear friend, the world has these ideas, how we just be nice to people and you not pick on them. They're just hungry. That's why they bring grocery bags in and rake stuff off the shelf. You know, they, they, they just need a better place to live. You're a product of your environment and we listen to worldly wisdom. We're inundated with it. And let me tell you something. It's destroying our society. Listen, what you need to do is saturate your mind in this book right here and saturate your heart in the truths of this book right here and yes, that'll make you peculiar in this world. And yes, that'll make us strange. But we are pilgrims and strangers. We don't belong here. And it's the world, from my view, that's upside down and backwards. First Corinthians 1, we'll close with this thought. We started in First Corinthians 1, verse 20. Where is the wise? 
Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I said a moment ago, and in closing, I said again, we are adopting worldly philosophies in hopes of getting spiritual results. Listen, what we need is not to dumb down our church services and make, make our churches look like a nightclub and bring in a five-piece band with booming bass and banging on drums. No, sir, what we need is old-fashioned preaching. Amen? What we need is this Word of God proclaimed. We need it taught faithfully. The Bible says in the last days men shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The difference between, you need teaching. We all need good Bible teaching. But the difference between Bible teaching and Bible preaching is teaching tells you what the Bible says and why we ought to do what we ought to do. And preaching says this is what you ought to do. Teaching says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And preaching says so quit your cigarettes and quit your drinking. Yeah. Teaching says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And preaching says, that's why you don't mix the world's rock music with Christian words and call it Christian rock. That's like Christian cigarettes and Christian booze and Christian pornography. It's like a cow horse. There ain't no such thing. That's preaching. You see, so in the last days, men heap teaching. But preaching... Some of you about to burn a hole in your britches squirming so much this morning. <laughs> Preaching makes us uncomfortable. And what does God say is the anecdote to worldly wisdom in our text. He said this. After that in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God. He pleased God by the foolishness of teaching. No. The foolishness of preaching. Amen. Amen. Listen, you want to think right? If it's not here, you find you a good Bible-believing church that makes you squirm about every other Sunday. You find you a church that you... I wish you'd get off that. You know why? Because we get saturated with the world's ideas and the world's philosophies. And what we need is a faithful preaching of this book right here. Let's bow our heads together. Heads are about eyes are closed.